Podcast, Beach Volleyball with Triborn and Travis Mawerder. And we are back to being spread out a little bit. Try uh, saw some cheap flights to Hawaii, so he had to take a uh, little baby girl out to Hawaii, saw some octopus and some turtles today. Uh, and then uh, I'm still in Hermosa Beach, and we are uh, zooming to my hometown, basically all the way over to Maryland. It's uh, good to have Alan Stein on the podcast. How are we? I'm fantastic, man. It's so great to connect with you guys. Looking forward to a fun chat. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for jumping on. We uh, we uh, had the pleasure of meeting each other a few weeks ago at the the Myrtle Beach Open. I had a good time. I feel like I learned a lot just uh, just uh, you know hanging out at uh, Adam Roberts' house. So I was like, yeah, get this guy on the podcast. No, I'm I was so glad you did. And uh, I tell you, man, Adam Adam is one of my oldest and dearest friends, and he's just a he's a super connector. I mean, obviously, he's an exceptional volleyball player and a great human being, but I tell you, anyone I've ever met that I've been introduced to from Adam has turned out to be a worthwhile relationship and a worthwhile connection. So, yeah, I was glad he made this connection. And he certainly thinks the world of both of you guys. I spent a lot of time on the road with A-Rod this year. So we we got super close uh, just because from from February till basically a couple of weeks ago. I saw Adam like way more than I saw my own wife. So me, me and A-Rod, we cut pretty tight this year. Oh, uh, that's, uh, I'm sure that was a wild year. Adam's legit, like one of a kind. You're never going to meet another person like him. Yeah. And uh, the an ultimate host too, which, you know, we, we've actually talked about the Myrtle Beach Open a lot on this podcast because it's, it's basically infamous for breeding, you know, or Myrtle Beach alone and that event for breeding the Phil Dahlhauser, Nick Lucena, you know, all the guys that were, that were there with us. And I finally got to go there and Adam gave me the, VIP treatment since I was playing with him. Uh, but it's, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Adam's such a big name kind of in the American beach volleyball world, but you're not, you, you really haven't done much in volleyball at all. Right. Uh, mostly just basketball. Yeah, no, that's correct. I mean, I've, I've been a huge fan of the beach volleyball game. I mean, ever since Adam started playing and uh, I know early out of college, you know, I would probably go watch him play four or five tournaments a year and was really on the scene. And then, you know, life kind of takes us all in our own separate directions. And I'm so thankful to still, you know, uh, have a friendship with Adam. I don't see him near as often as I'd like. Uh, but yeah, this was my first time attending the Myrtle Beach Open. I mean, he's been telling me about it for years and I just never logistically could line up my schedule to make it down. So uh, thankfully was able to make it happen this year. And yeah, it's a spectacular event top talent. And as you said, he's such a tremendous host, but um, yeah, I don't have a tremendous amount of experience in volleyball other than just being a fan. And I tell you, beach volleyball is a very close second to basketball as far as my favorite spectator sport. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's obviously I'm preaching to the choir with you guys and your listeners, but I mean, there's just so much action. I mean, it's just, it's just nonstop and it's so much fun to watch and to be out in the sunshine and on the beach watching great athletes do their thing. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's funny. I was actually talking to Chase Budinger, um, two days, two, three days ago, I was at, in Austin with him and, uh, we were talking about that on our 40 minute bus ride. Um, just like the similarities of basketball and, and volleyball and beach volleyball. And he's like one of the only people who can actually talk about it at an extremely high level. Um, and he said the same thing. It's like a perfect combination of like finesse power, endurance, conditioning, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then you have like, you know, the kind of egos, people going back 
jawing back and forth at each other. Um, so, I mean, yeah. you kind of legitimized it in my head. I was like, okay, well, you've played at the highest level in both. So, absolutely. And I don't, I don't know. I would think Chase would remember me, but I actually went to France with him. He was part of a uh, a U18 USA team um, that we took over to France. So I actually met Chase when he was a McDonald's All-American. I mean, I had a chance to work with him a little bit when he was in high school and was just such a remarkable athlete. And yeah, I was always so surprised that there weren't more crossovers from basketball to beach volleyball, that you didn't find more guys who, you know, played at a high level, but decided to make the switch or the pivot or whatever. But yeah, Chase did that. And I remember seeing some of his even indoor highlights in volleyball when he was at the peak of his basketball career. And he would just punch that ball so hard. I mean, he would break people's noses (laughs) because he could hit the ball so hard. It almost wasn't fair. I mean, obviously he was a good sized guy could jump out of the gym um, I mean, it was just so elastic and explosive. But yeah, I remember seeing some of those highlights. I mean, people needed a shield just to hold up when he would spike the ball. It's insane. Like, I was talking to him, and he's like, what's our age difference? And I was like, it's only a year. But I remember being at J.O.'s and, and seeing him warming up and, like, the crowds going around. him. I felt like a little kid, you know. <laughs> We're only a year apart. And he was just, like, an athlete on so much higher of a level at, at that point in our lives uh so yeah i mean what a unique experience for for that guy <laughs> for sure and he was a really good basketball player too i mean you know yeah. obviously to be a mcdonald's all-american means you're one of the top 24 players in the united states which is remarkable and uh yeah and was always just such a good dude too i mean i haven't seen or talk or heard from him in forever but it's kind of neat that you brought his name up he was always one of my favorites that's fine yeah so you grew up uh in kind of basketball country uh Gaithersburg Montgomery County is kind of part of the the DMV it's like Montgomery Prince George's it's kind of one of the biggest sort of breeding grounds of of basketball players and just kind of for our listeners um because you know it's a beach volleyball podcast just kind of give us give us kind of a rundown of uh you played basketball Elon and then what you're doing now I mean obviously you're working with basketball you can see the pictures behind you uh how many phenomenal players and you work with uh, so just kind of give a, our listeners a little rundown of uh, of what you're doing now. Um, sure. And then you can even mention the the book behind your head, <laughs> Raise Your Game by Alan Stein Jr. <laughs> so I think to put into context, it's important to know that basketball was really my first love and that I fell in love with the game at five years old. And even though I played a variety of different sports and tried a variety of different activities, basketball always came first in my life and, you know, thankful to be a decent high school player, thankful enough to go to Elon and meet a Rob. Um, But it was clear to me that when, you know, my college playing days were over, my formal basketball days were also going to be over. Uh, Certainly did not have the acumen to play professionally. And while I was in college, I started to develop uh, an equal love for strength and conditioning and fitness and nutrition and, and mental training and performance work. So when I graduated from Elon in 98, I figured what could be better than combining my original love of basketball with my new love of performance training. And I figured I'd be a basketball performance coach. I didn't even consider any other professions or doing anything else and kind of jumped headfirst into that as soon as I graduated. Um, And most of that work was done at the middle school and high school level. Uh, I felt that outside of the gym, I could have more of an influence and an impact as a role model with middle school and high school age kids and had an opportunity to work at two really renowned private schools here in the DC area. Uh, One was Montrose Christian, which is where Kevin Durant graduated from. 
and the other is DeMatha Catholic High School, which is internationally renowned and has produced dozens of NBA players. Uh, and in the 13 years I was able to work at those two schools, you know, we have well over a dozen players still playing in the NBA, like Kevin Durant and Victor Oladipo and Markel Fultz and Quinn Cook and Jeremy Grant. I mean, just a list of really great players. And being able to do that afforded me some opportunities with Nike and with Jordan Brand and with USA Basketball. So one thing that I think makes my, um, my journey unique is I got to work with players when they were 14 and 15 years old, you know, before they made it to the big time. And then I got to work events for Nike and work with Kobe and Steph Curry and Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis and Steve Nash. So I got to work with guys after they had already made it to the top of that mountain. And I got to see both vantage points. What does it take to get there? And what does it take to stay there? And uh, I learned so many lessons and strategies and principles, things that I use to guide my own life now, but that I also use to share with folks to help them improve in anything, whether they're trying to be you know, the kings of the beach and beach volleyball, or they're trying to grow their business, or they're just trying to be a better parent. Uh, the principles of high performance have such high utility that it doesn't change. And, and that's why, even though I may not have a lot of training experience in the beach volleyball world, I certainly know the pillars and the foundation of what it takes to be the elite athletes that you two guys are, because it's the same thing that it would take to be elite in any other area of life. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm uh, I'm stoked to hear all this stuff. This is right up my alley stuff. I need to be uh, <laughs> learning right now. So I'm all ears. <laughs> well, you know, the, the first thing that was an epiphanal moment for me was the day I met Kobe Bryant and I got a chance to watch one of his private workouts. And I remember being blown away at the simplicity of the stuff he was doing. You know, I, I was expecting him to be doing stuff with a lot of sizzle, a lot of flash, a lot of sexiness. And instead, he was doing just some of the most basic and fundamental moves uh, and drills. And later that day at camp, when I asked him why, you know, he was the best player in the world and why he was doing such basic drills, he said something that changed my life forever. He said the best never get bored with the basics. And that might be obvious to you two guys, and that might be obvious to your listeners. But for some reason, in that moment, that shifted my perspective. Uh, in that moment, I realized that, that just because something is basic, it doesn't mean that it's easy. You know, people often use those words interchangeably as if they're synonyms, but they're not. Basic and easy do not mean the same thing. What it takes to be a world-class elite beach volleyball player is basic and premise. Obviously, you two guys can attest to the fact that it is not easy to do what you do. It is not an easy game to master. It's not easy to live the lives that you guys live and to, to have the discipline uh, to train the way that you train. There's nothing easy about it but it's still incredibly basic what you're supposed to do. And for me, that differentiator and that separator really guides me in everything that I do. I mean, whether I'm, I'm trying to become a better speaker, a better author, or a better father, I keep always going back to the fundamentals and the basics and saying, what things do I need to master to make sure that I have the foundation to build the rest of the house? What things do I need to focus on that will allow me to be the best player. And you guys obviously speak the beach volleyball terminology and lingo better than I do, but I bet you both could nail down three or four fundamentals that are a necessity to master if you ever want to be really great at this game. And uh, anytime you're not spending time pouring into those things, then I think you're veering away from mastery. Love it. I always, um, <clears throat> when people ask me kind of what my favorite kind of practices. I call them meat and potatoes practices, where it's just a lot of passing and a lot of setting. Because usually 
you know, my, neither my brothers know anything about beach volleyball. So they'll just kind of ask, you know, what, what's the one thing that usually separates an elite team from an okay team. And I said, whoever wins the passing battle and makes less errors mm -hmm. is usually the team that's going to win from your double B to your professional Olympic level that try plays on. And it's cool to see that translates in pretty much every industry from Kobe Bryant, who's basketball and beach volleyball is no, not much of a difference, you know, free throws, hit the open shots, make your legs. Tim Duncan, the prime example of that. And that's kind of the, I think, sort of the common denominator from the elites across all sports is just you have that not only a mastery of the basics, but like a, a hunger to continue getting better at them. Yeah. Oh, no question. And, you know, one of the things that I thought was so cool, as I mentioned, you know, when Adam first started in his volleyball journey, I, I would try to attend as many events as I could. And, you know, I, I kind of befriended some of his initial partners. And I don't know if you guys remember the name Dana Camacho, but you know, <laughs> Dana was always an interesting one to me because, for the most part, most of the guys that Adam showed me that were really successful in the game were 6'4", 6'5", you know, could jump out of the gym or jump out of the sand, were pretty muscular, very athletic guys. And, and here Dana was, this little scraggly player, like, you know, sub six foot, you know, it didn't pass the eyeball test per se, but at least at that time, with my very novice, far from expert eye, I mean, he was phenomenal with ball control. He was a great passer. He did all of the little things really well. Now, Dana had a whole list of other issues and, and some mental training things I think he could have improved on. I mean, he was a piece of work to say the least. And I say that with love. He was always a good dude to me. But but he he was someone that was living proof that if you master the basic components and the fundamentals, you can play the game at a high level, even if you don't necessarily have the physical tools to do that. He was always one of the most competitive guys in any of the events that I saw and, and he and Adam were a pretty good team for those same reasons. Cause Adam has always been one of the most fundamentally sound people I've ever met. He was incredibly <laughs> fundamentally sound in the game of basketball. And obviously he's parlayed that into beach volleyball. So um, yeah, that's just living proof that if you can master the basics, you set yourself a foundation to which everything else can, can move up from there. And if you also have the physical tools and the size and the strength and the athletic ability, like a Kobe Bryant or like you two gentlemen, and you master the basics, then, then there's no ceiling on what you can accomplish. And, you know, I'm, I'm not in the business of diminishing anyone, but I bet we could collectively come up with a list of players in the NBA who had all of the physical talent in the world, but chose not to master the basics, chose not to approach the game like a Kobe Bryant or a Tim Duncan, and they didn't get anywhere close to reaching their potential. They did not have the careers that they were capable of. And, you know, I, I don't say that with judgment. I say it merely as an observation. Yeah, that's it's interesting. Over the years, I've noticed because um, I don't know how familiar you are, but like the group of Hawaiian kids that have come out, or the group of Hawaiians that have come out of Hawaii, there, there isn't that many. But when they come out, when we've come out, we've a lot of us have been successful. Like, you know, we've all come from this little spot, but there's like, what, 10, 12 of us probably now over the years that have been extremely uh, successful. And it's funny because when I, I remember as a kid, we would just, we, we had the uh, University of Hawaii head coach and he would just have us pass all day long. I don't remember doing anything else. We played defense. So digging, passing, never blocking, never hitting. We scrimmaged so like that happened, but then they didn't teach it. They, all they taught us out here growing up as kids was ball control. Mm. And then we went to the mainland and 
we ended up growing up being big and just kind of learning the hitting and the, the rest of it. I learned blocking just playing on the beach with, for fun. And I've noticed that like, that's been the biggest separating factor of us versus mainland kids. So anyone from, you know, uh, continental States, um, it's just been ball control. Like, yeah, I'm six, five, but I can play libero. I can do any position you want. Uh, and then translating that to the beach is perfect because I mean, uh, that's what the beach is all about. It's like, who can be the best at all the skills uh, combined? Um, well, so yeah, I've completely le- learned that in my life. Well, the cool thing was when a couple of weeks before, when Adam invited me down and he was telling me all about you and your game, I mean, that was basically what he led with. He said, you know, try is unbelievably versatile and he can do everything really, really well. And uh, yeah. And then obviously I got to see you do that, you know, live and in person. And, and it also reminds me kind of, why I believe there has been a shift even in the NBA over the last 15 years where many of the uh, international and foreign born players, um, you know, are, are dominating the NBA now. And, and many of these guys don't have the natural born raw athleticism as some of the American born players. But when you look at the European system, they teach fundamentals at very young ages, you know, here in the States, Kids get so caught up in AAU and and just playing all of the time and jacking up threes or I can't wait till I can dunk. And you go to some of these other countries and I mean, it is a factory of fundamentals and that's what they teach at very young ages. So by the time those players are 15, 16, 17 years old, they can dribble, pass and shoot with either hand. They have very high basketball IQs. So where they may lack some athletic ability, you know, and, and this isn't, this doesn't mean they're poor athletes, but you take like a Luka Doncic, who's, you know, on a scale of one to 10 by NBA standards, he's not an exceptional athlete, right? but he's one of the best players in the game right now. And will be without question on the Mount Rushmore of NBA players for the next decade or two, because he's so fundamentally sound. And I think that's why we've seen that shift. And uh, you know, I mean, if we were to list the top players in the NBA right now, three or four of them would be international born players. And I think that's because of the emphasis on fundamentals, on the emphasis of things like footwork, IQ, passing ability, and so forth, that unfortunately we just don't teach near as much here in the U.S. as we should. And the rest of the world is now catching up. What do you think the factors are that, um, you know, would make a player be more fascinated and interested in the fundamentals of it. Like you could, I could see why a kid wouldn't like it. Um, I know kind of why I would, why I like that stuff, but I, I can't really break it down. I think for the most part, and this is, this is true of all leaders. Like you're going to get whatever it is that you bring. If, if you want your team to be more enthusiastic then you as a coach need to show up with more enthusiasm. If you want your team to work hard, then you have to lead by example and work hard. So I think it starts at the younger ages. I think youth coaches need to show children that there is a massive precedent and priority and emphasis placed on fundamentals and design your practices accordingly. Don't be the type of coach that just shows up and rolls the balls out and just says, let's just run up and down. Say, hey, for this 60 minutes, we're going to spend 50 minutes 
working on passing drills, uh, layup drills, ball handling drills. Yeah, for the last 10 minutes, we can do some fun stuff. We can play some knockout. We can play some one-on-one. We can scrimmage. I mean, I'm still all about making it enjoyable and making sure that the kids want to buy in. But I think it starts with the adults. And, you know, it starts by showing them that if you want to be like a Kobe Bryant or a Stephen Curry or a Triborn, then that means you're going to embrace the fundamentals And here's how we're going to do that. And, you know, I think we can all acknowledge the basics can be boring. They can be mundane. They can be monotonous. So you also have to love the process and the work. You know, a guy like Kobe loved the game so much that he didn't want to skip steps and disrespect the game. He wanted to pay homage to the game and do what was right. So he fell in love with the process. Doesn't mean he loved doing pivoting drills for 20 minutes, but he loved the result that he got from mastering footwork, same thing with Tim Duncan. So I I think it's the same thing. You may not love doing passing drills for 40 minutes every day, but you sure love the result of being an exceptional passer when you guys are hoisting a trophy over your head and you win. So some of it is understanding the process is what's going to lead to those results and those outcomes that you're aiming for. Yeah, and then I guess once you get there and you feel it, you're like, whoa, I put in that work and now I feel the results then it becomes more fascinating. And then you get a little more success from that fundamental. And then you start becoming obsessed or, you know, if you're Kobe, the word obsessed starts coming in where you just have to get even better and make it just so perfect. Yeah. Well, you know, another guy that I got to spend a little bit of time with, certainly don't know him well, but I worked his camp a couple of years and got to have some private conversations with him with Steve Nash. And, you know, some younger folks now might just think of Steve Nash as the, the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets, but, you know, he's a Hall of Fame caliber player in his own right. Was a two time. Yeah, absolutely. And a, and a two time back to back MVP. I mean, Steve Nash was doing some Steph Curry things before Steph Curry was even Steph Curry. I mean, his. His playmaking ability, how ambidextrous he was with passing with either hand, finishing with either hand. I mean, it was absolutely remarkable. And, you know, I I remember having a conversation with him about some of the things that he did in his private workouts. And it was very similar to Kobe. He was working on very basic moves and footwork and being able to finish with either hand and pass with either hand. He broke it down in a very cerebral way. You know, he said that in the game of basketball, especially in the NBA game, that if you can get what's called a paint touch, so the ball touches the lane, either through a pass or through a dribble, every possession that you can get a paint touch, your percentage of scoring goes way up, you know, because you're going to have more open shots. If, if I drive into the lane and kick it out for a three, that guy's going to be more open had I not driven to the lane. So he figured out as a point guard, his number one job was to get a paint touch every single possession down because that means they would shoot a higher percentage and he said well in order to do that i'm playing against the best athletes in the world you know these guys are quick and fast and explosive i can't have any weakness exposed so i have to be able to dribble with my right and left i have to be able to pass with my right and left if i get near the basket i have to finish with my right and left i need to be able to have solutions for every problem that could come my way and that was kind of how he broke it down so he understood that For him, being as fundamentally sound in all of the basic portions of the game was the only way he could even survive in the league. And uh, I mean, clearly he had a a Hall of Fame caliber career. So there's so many examples of guys that have embraced the basics and it's led to them being just about as good as anyone in their craft. And these guys are going out there outside of team practice hours and working on this kind of stuff, right? Like that's the thing that 
like interests me and I I'd like to kind of translate to my game and I, you know I kind of do I'll show up early get certain reps here and there but I mean it's a little different I know uh you know basketballs you can go shoot and obviously have someone rebound for you all day if if you're chasing serves all day you're going to be gassed uh, out in the sun but um I just think it's interesting that you hear about all the greats and and the thing that they're saying is separating them is the extra reps that they're getting and the things that they're coming up with on their own. There's like no one that can teach you to, to raise the bar of, you know, the best in the world. You have to like creatively come up with it. I think that's interesting and something I'm trying to do. I can't say I've fully mastered yet. No, I, I think you're, going to take a quick break from the show for a really fun announcement uh, is that Try and I, uh, now that we're finally back in the same country for the first time in what feels like basically forever, uh, we're finally getting around to doing the things that we've been trying to do for a while now. And one of them is dropping a Sandcast merchandise line that you can check out at sandcastmerch.com. All right, we've got t-shirts, we've got hoodies, we've got tank tops, hats, we even have a coffee mug and a backpack. All right, so head over to sandcastmerch.com to take a look and get some of your favorite gear from your favorite podcast. And just so you guys know, I mean, one of the reasons that we wanted to drop a merchandise line uh, is one, a couple people asked, and two, it's just another kind of revenue stream for us. And every piece of profit that we make from merchandise is going straight back into the podcast. I mean, now that it's off season, we're going to spend a lot more time kind of improving the podcast, getting better content better mics, a better video setup for those of you who watch on YouTube. And our merchandise line is kind of going to help fund that a little bit. So thank you guys uh, to anybody who has already bought some hoodies, some t-shirts, some hats. We absolutely love you guys. And we love you so much for the last four years. Can you believe we've been up for four years uh, of supporting us for that long and uh, only bigger and better things to come for Sandcasts. So head over to sandcastmerch.com to get your gear today. This podcast is, of course, as always since day one, brought to you by Wilson Volleyball. We know, we know it's off-season, the AVP's three-event year is over, but that just means you get to reload on balls to train and rep it out with over the off-season. So head over to Wilson Volleyball and use our discount code SANDCAST-20 to get 20% off your orders of Wilson Volleyball. All right, that's SANDCAST-20 to rock your favorite ball, best ball in the game by far. All right, we played with Mikasa's, we played with Wilson, we play with any kind of ball, and Wilson is by far the best. So head over to Wilson Volleyball and give him your love. And the last bit of news I have before I can let you guys get back to enjoying our podcast is that we do have a, a Sandcast newsletter. We started it last year, or kind of during COVID, and then uh, both Try and I, we hit the road pretty hard during 2021 and lost a little focus, lost the time to do it. But now that we are both back in the United States and we have a lot of free time on our hands to keep improving Sandcast, we do have a Sandcast newsletter. Uh, if you want to sign up for that newsletter, it will include any updates we have with the podcast, but also any writing that I do for Volleyball World, uh, for Volleyball Magazine, any interesting stories on both Volleyball World or Volleyball Magazine or at avp.com, any updates that Try has on his YouTube channel, any great videos that McKibbins have. Basically, I'm just culling all of what I think to be the best volleyball content out there, and I'm just throwing it in a newsletter. Uh, so if you guys want to get that newsletter, head over to sandcastvolleyball.com 
And on the right-hand side, you can just drop in your email address, and I will get that to you every Friday that I'm in the United States. Once season starts up, I cannot promise I'll keep up with it, but the idea is to keep doing it for as long as we can. It's just a weekly thing. Um, It's fun for me to do because I'm basically just taking all of my favorite things that I saw in the volleyball world, and I'm giving it to you guys. So if you want to be a part of that newsletter, sandcastvolleyball.com. And on the right-hand side, just drop in uh, your email and I'll be chatting with you every single Friday. All right, back to the show, guys. You're going in the right direction, though. What we called that, a good friend of mine, uh, Drew Hanlon, termed that the unseen hours. And that the unseen hours in the game of basketball are when the lights aren't on, the cameras aren't rolling, and the cheerleaders aren't dancing. It's just you in a gym by yourself putting in work. And it's what you do during the unseen hours that will determine how good you are when the lights do come on and the cheerleaders do start dancing. And, you know, guys like Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant and Kobe Bryant spend an ungodly amount of time uh, doing individual workouts and in the gym by themselves. I mean, many of those guys have stories of, you know, they'll, they call a buddy up to come rebound for them at three in the morning because they just want to start making shots. Like they're having trouble sleeping and their remedy to that is to go make a thousand jump shots. And you, you did bring up a, a really important point. Basketball is one of the very few major team sports that the primary skill sets are things you can work on completely by yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, soccer, basketball, football, volleyball, it's helpful to have someone else to pass, catch, throw, do those things with, you know, it's, it's harder to work on those things by yourself, but basketball, you know, two of the primary skill sets, uh, ball handling and shooting, you can hundred percent work on yourself and the best players do, you know, I, not implying I had any potential to play past college, but when I reflect on my own career, that was one of the biggest mistakes I made. I thought that just showing up for every practice and giving my best effort was all that was required. It didn't dawn on me. That is simply the ante to sit at the table. If you really want to be good, you got to come in a couple hours early and stay a couple hours late. And you need to do that most of the time. I mean, it, it, it's not that I was a clock puncher per se, but I just figured, Hey, coach has five practices a week. So that's probably all I need to be a good player. And it wasn't. And that's why I think the, especially in my college career, the game surpassed me. And I can think of plenty of times Um, as roommates, Adam would be in the gym and I was choosing to do other college extracurricular activities and, you know, go out on the party scene and Adam was in the gym and his level of development as a player, just from the time we were freshmen to the time we were seniors, I mean, he left me in the dust and it wasn't an accident. It was, he was very focused on getting better. So yeah, the unseen hours in any area of life determine how good we're going to be. I mean, even before I take the stage for a keynote, it's all of the preparation and due diligence, excuse me, and rehearsal that I've put into leading up to that. And people often make the mistake of saying, you know, well, you're a keynote speaker, man, you get a lot of money for an hour of work. And I'm like an hour of work. What are you talking about? That's just my game. You know, for every keynote, I'm putting in dozens and dozens of hours for that keynote. Now, when you still break down the payday divided by those hours, I'm still compensated well. So there's no complaint. But I just want to make the distinction. I don't work one hour. You know, if I have a keynote at night, I'm not working one hour that day. I'm probably working six or seven just to prepare on that day. And it's the same thing. I mean, if we turn on an NBA game tonight and, you know, at the time of this recording, Steph Curry has just been going crazy in these first few games. If we put on a game tonight and Steph drops 45, 
a very novice fan would look at that and go, man, he, he got lucky tonight or wow, he just got hot. They have no idea that young man has been in a gym since he was four years old and has literally made millions of shots over the course of the last two decades that have put him in a position to score 45 points when, when the lights are on. And that's what we need to pay more homage to is the unseen hours. Yeah. I heard uh, recently, I want to say it was maybe his trainer or something. I don't know. Um, they said that this off season, Steph was trying to, you know, he, he's always trying to take it to the next level. And this off season, they decided that he wasn't uh, no shots counted if it hit the rim. So he was shooting, like he had to make his shots perfectly, but if he touched the rim, it didn't count, which is like insane. And then you have yeah people outside saying, this guy's getting paid 300 grand a game, or I don't know what it is, you know, yeah. something like that. I mean, same for us. It's like, Oh, you, wow. Oh, you made 10 grand this week. That's a pretty good weekend. Yeah. That's just the result of everything that you did before that. And that that's the part that I, and, and it's, it's cumulative too. I mean, every single rep that you get, every time you guys head out to the sand uh, or into the gym or do anything, you're just adding another brick onto your wall. And as long as you're very meticulous about laying bricks as perfectly as you can, you're building and amassing this very strong, sturdy wall. And yes, there are certainly occasionally exceptions to it. But one thing I've noticed with beach volleyball, I mean, for the most part, you know, you need a certain level of experience and maturity to get to the level that you guys are, to be the kings of the beach. I mean, it, at least from what I've seen, most of the time guys are in their late 20s and early 30s before they really start to hit their stride of how good they're capable of. Now, certainly you can have a young whippersnapper in their early 20s that that's a flash in the pan and shows some talent and they can do some things. But most of the time it takes years and then close to decades of ball control, of passing, of working on those things before you're at your absolute elite level. So every time Stephen Curry is in the gym or every time you two guys are in the sand, you're adding a few more bricks to your wall. And then when a weekend comes along and you win it and you make a nice, easy 10 grand and put in your pocket, that's not from what you did that day. That is a combination of everything you've done to lead up to that. And we right. just often forget that in our society because the Instagram picture of holding the trophy up or holding the checkup People just think, oh, man, I, I, I wish I could do that. I, you know, I might start playing beach volleyball because I'd like to do that. It's like, OK, well, be prepared to do that 10 years after the day you start or 20 right. years after the day you start. And, and I just think that gets so easily lost and forgotten. For sure. A couple of the big so just for our kind of beach volleyball listeners, I would say that one of the ways that I was able to expedite my learning process was actually doing stuff on my own because I grew up and I was a golfer and golf is my favorite sport, which is a very lonely sport, which I loved because I didn't have to depend on anyone. You just go to the range, you have a bucket of balls and you hit balls, you go to the putting green. Um, so in beach volleyball, like I go out there all the time. I get to practice like half an hour early and just get like 20 balls and just toss it to myself and hit high line shots and then cut shots. And you get a good hand on ball feeling. You can go out there. You can hit serves by yourself. Like last night, uh, I wasn't passing great at practice and we had a country quota today. And so I didn't want to go in feeling unconfident. So I just passed a tennis ball with one hand against the wall and did it with the other hand. And you can do so much work by yourself. You can set Phil Dahlhauser. He was, he was famous for, and this is an Adam Roberts story that you might've heard. He was famous for setting a ball to himself while everyone was watching a movie. And his thing was trying to make it so quiet 
that everyone else could watch the movie undisturbed. So now Phil has the softest hands in the world. So there's so much stuff, little things that you can do on your own um, to get better. Because a lot of people will say, oh, I need at least four people to go get better at beach volleyball, but you really just need one and a bucket of balls and you'll be good to go. And you can just put on a podcast to hang out for an hour and a half and watch the sunset and go home. You know, that's the beautiful thing about beach volleyball. Absolutely. And no, I love that you went in that direction. And additionally, one thing that's been so cool about the expansion of all sport and how they've grown is you don't, you have things you can work on outside of the sand. I mean, there's things you can work on for your flexibility and mobility and core strength and explosiveness in the traditional gym. Uh, You can study film, you can watch yourself, you know, watch anything that you filmed of yourself to look at technique you can improve, or you can watch the opponents that you're going to, you know, face in the first match that weekend. Uh, You can do things to improve your mental training and outlook the ability to be present in breathing exercises. So the the totality of what it takes to be at your guys' level and play um, is even more than just the fundamental skills in the sand. So yeah, not only can you work on those things by yourself, but there's no shortage of other things that someone can be working on. So anyone that's just kind of sitting around, you know, uh, lazily saying, well, I don't have three other people to play with me right now, so I can't get better. Uh, I, I think is misguided because there's never a shortage of things that any one of us could be doing to improve. And then of course you throw rest and recovery on top of that and how important that is. You know, one of, one of the reasons I admire you guys so much is, you know, to, to win a tournament, even like the Myrtle beach open. I mean, you're in the hot sun playing from sun up to sundown. You're there all day. And it's not even just the best teams that advance. It's also the ones that know how to rest in between and know how to recover and get out of the sun and to fuel properly and to hydrate and to to do those types of things. So it's so all encompassing what it takes to be at an elite level. There's never a shortage of things that someone could be doing if they want to get better. And anything short of that, I think is, is simply an excuse. One of the things that I think uh, a lot of beach volleyball players struggle with, and I know that I get asked this all all the time, and I have absolutely no answer because I'm constantly running myself into the ground, is the balance between getting the extra reps and making sure you're properly rested and recovered. Because I remember one of Kobe's big things was he kind of, he wanted to win the math problem, right? So when he was in, I think, middle school or high school, he wasn't as good as some of his teammates and some of the kids he was playing against. He was like, well, if they're practicing three days a week for two hours and I practice six days a week for three hours, then the amount of extra hours and reps that I'm putting in, I'm going to win the math problem by so much that it's impossible for me to not be better than them. And so I kind of take that approach a lot, but then I'm like, but I'm winning the math problem, but I'm just getting crushed in the rest and recovery problem. So then there's this balance and what, tools or tricks or tips or or whatever would you have for athletes who kind of want to get the extra reps, but also don't want to run themselves into the ground? It's, it is an incredibly individualized answer. We all have to be able to step back, especially with Kobe as an example, because he's kind of been that, that one that we've all looked towards. And we have to understand he was a once in a million, once in a generation type of human being, you know, Kobe did espouse the mindset that more is better. You work out twice a day. I work out three times a day. You work out for two hours. I work out for three hours. You know, you take a day off. I never take a day off. And for most people, 
that's a recipe for either burnout or injury. Kobe was just such an anomaly that it was okay for him. And I would have young players say that all the time. And I would say, you know, with a wink and a smile, yeah, you're not Kobe Bryant. Like <laughs> I understand, I understand where you're going with this, but I do think everyone has a different threshold. Everyone has a different work capacity and that will even fluctuate, you know, even as we get older, you know, I'm 45 years old. Uh, I can't run and jump and lift to the same degree that I could when I was 25. Like I, I simply can't do everything that I could do back then. And there's certain things that if I did do them, I'd be sore for three or four days now when in my twenties, I could do that stuff every single day. So some of it is the maturity and the humility of saying, you know, I'd like to believe I'm wiser and smarter now than I was in my 20s, but I can't do everything the same way that I did it. You know, I mean, in your 20s, you can work out for five hours. You can go drinking with your friends that night. You can be up early the next day, having got no sleep, and you can still perform at a high level. Uh, if I do any of those things right now, I'm not <laughs> going to be very good the next day. And I can acknowledge that. Uh, one thing that I think is important and, and even this is a little bit on a spectrum because I do believe there is a benefit to training when you are tired and learning how to push through fatigue. I, I'm not saying that that's not important, but I did learn something from Kyle Corver that I thought was really important. Uh, someone asked how long he does his shooting workouts for, and he said, basically until, and that was kind of his answer. And then he elaborated on it. He said, until I'm not shooting with perfect form. When I get to the point that I'm so fatigued that I'm not shooting with perfect form, I'm, I'm letting my, you know, my hand sink down or I'm not getting the same lift. He said, then I just, I don't take another shot because I don't want to practice doing something the wrong way. I don't want to get repetitions doing incorrect form. Uh, his terminology, which makes so much sense is I don't want to get good at bad shooting. And, and I think we can all fall victim to that. So I think on some level, there'll be a day where you both are rested and hydrated and feeling great. And you can go two hours and you still look so sharp with everything that you do. There might be another day at the one hour mark, you just look at each other and go, you know what? I'm a little off right now. Like I'm not, and that might be okay to pull the plug. That doesn't mean you're quitting. That doesn't mean you can't push through fatigue. It means you're trying to be really strategic and smart and say, right now, I'm not gonna get any more return on an extra investment of being out here. So let's call it a day. You know, let, let's let's go get some rest and recovery. Let's eat a good meal, get some good sleep, and let's come back out tomorrow morning and start fresh. I think that's really about being smart. And one of the things that we're seeing that, and we're seeing that all of the time now, is with the load management in the NBA and, and coaches and, and general managers saying, you know, we need these guys fresh for preseason, 82 games plus playoffs. So we want to be very judicious in the minutes we play and how much toll we put on them. It's not the old blood and guts routine of basketball in the 80s and 90s, which, of course, I grew up on. You know, it's saying, how can we be smart in the long term? And I think that ultimately, I would hope, would answer your question, Travis, is saying on for the long term, if here's the North Star, what is the best decision I can make today that will get me closer to that North Star? And sometimes that's pushing hard for two hours. And sometimes that's calling it quits after an hour with absolutely no guilt. And, and I can't stress enough, pulling the plug on a workout does not mean you're lazy, does not mean you're weak, does not mean that you can't push through fatigue. It means you're actually smart enough to honor yourself and your body and say, you know what, that's good enough for today. We'll pick it up fresh tomorrow because we all should be doing this for the long game. And yeah. That I think is important and, and it's never easy and everybody's different. Even you two guys, 
may have slightly different work capacities and thresholds for certain things. So even, even volleyball partners might not be on the exact same page with that. So there has to be kind of a dance between, you know, between the two to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely learned that between Travis and I, <laughs> I mean, like, like he said, he had never played volleyball. He basically came out and we started the podcast when he just discovered the game. You're like, what, a year or two in from like discovering volleyball. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. That's and awesome. he, uh, he, I mean, two years into the podcast, he's like, I've never gotten a massage or done anything, any treatment before. I was like, what? Like, how is that possible? He literally was just crushing himself to get reps and catch up with everybody. Um, but like we said earlier, he was getting reps in so many different ways, including he and I were both smart enough to start a podcast, right? Like, I don't know what everyone else is doing in their off season, but we're talking to one of the best sports or, uh, you know, performance uh, coaches in the world right now, as far as I'm concerned, last week we had Michael Gervais on, um, and, but we're just getting all kinds of reps like that. But Travis, we literally came to a point where I walked him into the players tent in Austin. I was like, <laughs> this is Travis, these are the PTs. They're going to give you a beat down massage right now. And you need it because your hip doesn't even like open a little bit. <laughs> I had to teach him about it. Um, now he's kind of finding the balance and has a weight coach making his plans and all that. It's that. kind of funny how far this guy's come. <laughs> oh, that, that is remarkable. And, you know, as we keep tying everything back to our good friend, Adam Roberts, a Rob, I, I believe that's one of the reasons that he's 45 and still able to play with guys well over a decade younger than him. He's really learned over these last few years in particular, how important the rest and recovery and regeneration is, uh, how important it is for him to do a lot of these different modalities, especially in the off season, you know, uh, as someone that, you know, really loves performance training and strength and conditioning. I've loved learning from him and hearing all of the different things that he's been doing um, because he's told me without question, he feels better now than he felt 10 years ago. Like the way his body feels and his energy and his weight and his knees and all of those things. I mean, when you, when you have the, 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 the repetition that you all have with a swinging motion and you have the constant jumping and landing, you know, to be a 45 year old beach volleyball player and not have knee or shoulder problems is pretty remarkable for him. And, and that's again, a testament to his commitment to doing all of these different things and having an openness to try different things yeah. and say, you know, I've, I've never tried this modality, you know, whatever that may be, whether it's, you know, it's a cold plunge or it's, it's acupuncture, but saying, you know what, I've never tried it. Let me do a little research. Let me give it a try and see how my body responds and then simply more of the things that work and less of the things that don't. And yeah, I just have the utmost respect for him and, and his approach. And, you know, he's kind of like a Tom Brady who, who knows when he's going to stop playing. I mean, he and I are both pushing 50 in the next five years. <laughs> he might, he might still be out there. We'll see. And Alan, where were we uh, at? Like before the sun even came up on the morning of the Myrtle beach open, where did Adam drag us to? Oh, to planet fitness, to go through his very specific planet routine. fitness. Yeah. Which is I was blown away. I was like, I don't want to wake up earlier, but then like in my head, I was like, okay, if I'm actually trying to play my best and get warm, I was like, this is a great idea. And I felt great going into it. Uh, especially an event like that, where, you know, you're not really training for it. Um, and it's right. easy to get injured. I was like, wow, why, why wouldn't I have done this? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, he's, he's totally ahead of the game. And he also knows now that it's not, it's not about how much weight can you lift and, and these types of things, necessarily even what your vertical jump is. It's more about 
How can I fine tune my body to optimize it for performance? What do I have to do to get my engine going so that when we have, you know, our, our first match at whatever time that I don't, I don't need that as a get loose type of match. I'm already mind, body, and spirit, hundred percent turned on, locked in, dialed up and ready to go. And he's through trial and error and through reaching out to a variety of people that are experts in their own area said, this is exactly what I need to do. Here's what time I need to go to bed. Here's what time I need to wake up. Here's what I need to do for the first hour I'm awake. Here's the breakfast that I need to eat. Here are the supplements I need to take. Here are the exercises I need to do. Here's the time I need to get over to the court. Here are the things. I mean, he has it mapped out and it's not haphazard. Uh, and it's no different than a Tom Brady or a LeBron James. I mean, if, if we flip on the TV tonight and the Lakers are playing, you know, if the Lakers have a tip off at eight o'clock, does anyone think LeBron is walking the streets of LA at 5 p.m. going, I wonder what I'm going to eat tonight? Mm, do, I, do I feel like Chinese or Mexican tonight? Right. Of course not. He has every minute of game day laid out. He knows exactly what he's going to eat, when he's going to eat it, when he's going to get to the arena, what he's going to do when he gets there. You know, he has all of that laid out. And now I'm not, I'm assuming what he's doing today is not identical to what he was doing his rookie year with the Cavaliers. He's matured, he's grown, he's fine-tuned it, he's learned new things, but there's nothing haphazard about people that consistently perform at a very high level. And I think that's our job, all of us, is to keep our eyes and ears open and fine tune that routine. I have a pre-speaking routine. I can tell you minute by minute exactly what I do when I have an opening keynote, you know, uh, that morning. I can tell you how that changes if I'm giving a closing keynote in the evening, but none of it is haphazard. And I might be in a different city, a different state, a different time zone, talking to a different audience in a different industry, but I'm going to make sure that what I do to lead up to stepping on stage I've made as consistent as possible um, so that I'm always in the same peak mental, physical, and emotional state as soon as I step on stage, because that's what professionals do. You know, whatever you're a professional in, that's what professionals do. They go through the steps to show up as their best self. And a big portion of that is, is proper preparation. I think one of the cool things, Try is when you go to, to look at kind of all, all of our top talents on the beach in the U.S. right now, it's that almost everyone had someone to teach them kind of how to be a professional, you know, for Adam or for me, that was Adam Roberts this year, just watching him go about his routines and just how like to the T he was with a lot of the stuff he did, but yeah. you came out on the beach and you had Hayden Taylor crab just learned in the last four years with Jake Kibb and rich Lamborn. Rich has a gold medal and Jake's been to four Olympics. Uh, when Phil Dahlhauser came out, uh, he had Todd Rogers and before Phil played with Todd, he had never had a massage before he was just, and Todd was like, this is what you're going to do. And then out came one of the best beach volleyball players in history. Um, and now you look at, you know, Trevor had Rosie for two years. Um, and now you look at this class of, of talent that we have on the beach. It's all people who have been kind of shown the way of these are the things you need to do. And now you guys have tinkered it. So it's all personalized to you work out with Mikel Trevor does something different. Taylor does something different, but everyone has their system now. And mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of cool to see that, that trend there. Yeah. Well, and you know, one thing I'll even add to that, that I've noticed with guys like a Kobe Bryant, in addition to that, they also seek out knowledge and input from high performers in other areas. Like 
Uh, I know that Kobe Bryant would reach out to people like a Tom Brady, would reach out to someone like Beyonce and say, what in the heck do you do to perform at such a high level in your craft? Is there something that I can learn from that? Um, you know, I know for me as a speaker, uh, two genres that I study religiously are stand-up comedy and hip-hop. Uh, I, I don't plan on being a stand-up comedian. I don't even aim to be funny. And I'm certainly not going to be a rapper, you know, in my, my post-50 era. <laughs> However, there are, those are both forms of spoken word. Those are both two art forms that rely on being able to make an audience feel a certain way based on nothing else than, than what they say. And I study both because I can learn about timing. I can learn about inflection and tone. I can learn about physicality. I can learn a variety of different things. And uh, I think that's so important. So I know that the best athletes reach out to the best athletes in other sports, but even go a step beyond and try to learn from anyone that's a high performer uh, in any area. You know, I remember uh, reading a story one time about how Jay-Z had reached out to Warren Buffett to try and learn certain things from him that could make him, uh, you know, uh, an even better business mogul. So I think we should always keep our eyes and ears open. We should be reading, watching, and listening to stuff that's outside of our direct area uh, of interest or expertise and figure those things out. And, and I know, you know, my, my list of podcasts that I listen to is pretty eclectic for that exact same reason. The list of books that I choose to read are pretty eclectic. And I even intentionally seek out stuff that has a contrarian point of view to what I currently believe. You know, we live in this society now that's so divisive that when someone says something you don't agree with, you kind of shun them. And you, I don't, I have a fascination with that. You know, if, if the three of us were having a discussion and you guys, you know, vehemently disagree with me on something, I don't look at that as a wall. I would have a genuine curiosity and go, wow, these two guys believe something very different than me. I'm fascinated by that. Like, explain to me why you think that. And uh, I think that can be really helpful to improving our performance is keeping that open-mindedness to learning as much as you can, even from people that you don't think see the world the same way. I think you can, you can mine even more gold from those folks. I think that would be a massive lesson for or like, you know, thing for everybody in the entire world to especially the US over these last two years. Yeah. To think about and just be open minded about other people's opinions and perspectives on everything. We'd yeah. probably all be a lot better off right now. <laughs> yeah, no question. And the yeah. cool part is at the end of the day, it doesn't mean you have to agree with them. It doesn't right. mean they're they're gonna sway your opinion or belief. It's simply about the 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 human decency of being respectful that there are other ways to view things that, you know, and, and obviously we could easily come up with a very short list of things that I think we'd all agree are, un, you know, completely unacceptable. I mean, th right. this is not about espousing hate groups or anything like that. Right. I'm talking about the general breadth of most of what we talk about. I mean, perfect example, you know, mask or no mask, vaccine or no vaccine, open or closed, all of these things we, we can easily get in our own bubble and think my way is right. Anyone that thinks different, differently than me is an idiot. And that right. is not a very healthy way to go through life, you know, and it's okay to have strong convictions. It's okay to say, I believe this about masks and I believe this about vaccines. That's fine. But at least take the time and have the respect to learn why someone would differ in their opinion and at least respect the fact that they're entitled to that opinion and that it's okay that it's different from yours. And, and I agree. I think if more people would just take that attitude on life, we'd have a, a slightly better environment, at least here in the United States, I know we would.
Yeah, yeah we should we sure. should put that in big bold lettering. <laughs> Look at me, I'm I'm solving all the problems of the United States on a podcast. This is exactly this is more for your buck than you guys expected. Run for president. <laughs> oh boy, I don't want that job. I don't want any job that the moment you get it, half of the people hate you. I just I don't I don't need that job. It's tough. <laughs> Well, so you have you have raised your game behind you, um, and I, I have a feeling that a lot of the concepts we have uh, spoken about are probably in that book. But what are some of the biggest uh, lessons or pillars or principles that you kind of want to mention um, that, that people might find valuable if they want to go buy it? You know, that we've touched on most of them kind of organically and, yeah. and almost accidentally, which has been really refreshing. I mean, it's the foundation of the book is to never get bored with the basics. So whether you're a player, whether you're a coach, whatever, work on the things that, that are the basic building blocks. Uh, another big portion of it is learning how to combine confidence with humility, like earn the right to be confident. I mean, when you, when you guys step out on the sand, you should believe you're going to win because you've put in the work during the unseen hours to deserve the right to win. You're not just showing up and expecting to win. You believe you're going to win because you've put in the work. However, that confidence needs to be blended with a humility that says, one, on any given day, someone can beat me. Even if I am vastly superior to them athletically and skill-wise, if I don't show up as my best and they do, I have the humility to acknowledge that I can lose. And, and every great athlete has lost to an inferior opponent at some point. So you really have to respect your opponent and respect the game. And, you know, also having the humility to acknowledge that no matter how good you are, you can still get better. So you should still be open to coaching and open to feedback. As soon as you close yourself off to, to coaching and feedback, as soon as you think no one can beat me, I'm, I'm the next big thing. That's when I think your confidence steers into arrogance or, or borderline narcissism and you're, you're in trouble. So I, I think blending those two things is incredibly important. And then, you know, there's, there's several other themes like that, that, that resonate throughout the book, but, but those are the, the first two that jump to mind. I love it. And I'm sure you've probably, I know that as a performance coach, you're probably expected to be the one uh, teaching others, but I'm sure you've learned quite a good deal with some of these guys you've worked with. And you mentioned Stephen Curry, uh, Kevin Durant, Kobe Bryant, Kyle Korver. I mean, these are some of the all-time greats. I'm sure that uh, you probably look at yourself like me and Tri say the same thing about when we have this podcast. We have, you know, all these incredibly accomplished people on. We're like, it's like a cheat code learning from all these people. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, there is without question, I have learned just as much, if not more, from everyone I've worked with than I'd like to believe I taught them or shared with them. And I mean, I bet if you actually added up all of the nuggets on either side, I probably had more people pour into me than I ever poured into them. And, and that's why with what I do now, my goal is just to continue to pay that forward. So, you know, Kobe Bryant teaches me a lesson. I want to be a steward of that lesson and share that with as many people as possible. That's nothing that I came up with. I'm simply paying forward something that he taught me. And, you know, same thing here. You know, if, if someone reads something in my book that, that helps them, or if one of your listeners, I said something today, or we said something today that resonated that's the whole reason for us doing it. And then if they take that little nugget and apply it to their life, I want them to share that with someone else. If one of your listeners heard something today that they think will improve their life, don't keep that to yourself. Implement it in your life and then share it with the people you care about. 
Share it with your spouse, your children, the people on your team or in your business or in your community. You know, I've always believed that a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. You know, so why would we not try to light as many different candles as we can? It's it's not zero sum. It's not in order for me to win, you two guys have to lose. In order for me to be happy, you two guys have to be sad or upset. It doesn't have to work that way. We we can all be happy. We can all be successful. We can all continue. You know, it's this abundance mindset. And and, and I think if if we all again, as we're going to continue to, you know, uh, fix all of the woes of the United States, if more people had this type of uh, abundant servanthood, let me pour into others mentality, it would just make the it make the world a better place. And that's one of the things that I love most about the beach volleyball community in my limited experience, even at that Myrtle Beach Open try. It was just so awesome seeing guys that we're about to go compete head to head, still be friendly and help each other out before or afterwards. And, you know, Hey, do you, you want to borrow my foam roll? Yeah. Knock yourself out. Hey, I'm running low on water. Oh, here, you can have one of mine. Like you guys, by definition, were competitors yet. Everyone was friendly and hospitable and kind with each other. I, I would love to see more of that in, in other areas of life. Yeah. I think that kind of gets built into our sport a bit just because it's, I don't know if it's like the, the income level of it or whatever, but like, you know, we're traveling the world together. We're in the player's tent together. You know, we're like, I could hate these other guys and like have this, you know, gnarly relationship with them, but it would be so draining because I'm with them all the time. Whereas maybe other sports, when you're playing in different cities and you only meet for games, it's, it's different, but I think it's just a natural thing that happens in our sport where you have to learn how to, handle yourself around your opponents uh, yeah. in a non, you know, confrontational and just draining way. Absolutely. No, I think that's a great perspective. And we see that at the Myrtle Beach Open. You've got all of these teams competing and fighting hard. And then everyone goes to Adam's house that night and everybody's arm in arm having a great time. So that, yeah, I, I think that's just one of many reasons that I, I absolutely love beach volleyball. Yeah. And well, Alan, what is uh, a couple things? Uh, what's next for you? Um, where can our listeners find you? Either Instagram, your website, social, whatever it may be. And uh, where can they get Raise Your Game? Well, you can find Raise Your Game anywhere they sell books. Most people tend to buy it on Amazon. And, and for any group or organization that wants to buy it for their entire team or company, uh, they can just email me at alan at alansteinjr.com. I can give a, a really hefty discount and I can even sign each copy. Uh, as far as what's next, uh, I actually just wrote the follow-up book called Sustain Your Game, uh, How to Manage uh, Stress, Avoid Stagnation, and Beat Burnout. And that will actually come out April 12th of 2022. Uh, wow. So a few more months and that thing will hit bookstores. Um, and I actually just released, um, this is more of a passion project. It's a book called The Sideline, and it's a little self-published book, and it's aimed at youth sports parents. And it's basically to teach parents how they can create an environment that their kids will get the most out of sport. You know, we hear all of these stories all of the time about overbearing, obnoxious parents and people beating up referees and people making their eight-year-olds only play basketball year round and making it like there's, there's so many things that we as parents can do to actually make, you know, the, the environment much better for our children because we've all benefited from playing sports our whole lives. And it's been a, you know, a big pillar in each of our lives. So uh, that's a, a small passion project that I'm hoping kind of catches fire and I can leave my thumbprint on youth sports. Uh, and you can find that at thesidelinebook.com. And then if anyone needs me for anything, I'm at Alan Stein Jr. on Instagram. 
Uh, same handle on Twitter and other social platforms. And my two websites are allensteinjr.com and strongerteam.com. Uh, I'm very accessible. Uh, I love when folks reach out, especially via social. So if anyone listening to this, if we said anything that resonated, whether it's something you agreed with or something you disagreed with, shoot me a DM on Instagram. We'd love to chat about it. And uh, yeah, certainly love to help you guys or your audience in any way I can moving forward. Awesome. Well, thank you tons for your time out. I'd heard a lot about you both from Try and Adam. So it was great to get to meet, get to meet you here. And uh, as someone who covered high school and youth sports for a very long time, the sideline is a must buy for parents. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I appreciate that. I, I do hope that it, it makes a difference. You know, it's so interesting because I mean, this is no exaggeration. I don't mean to sound dramatic. I have been around youth sports my entire life. I started playing them when I was five years old, played all the way through college. Then as a professional, I worked in youth sports for 20 years as a performance coach. And now I'm the proud father of 11-year-old twin sons and a nine-year-old daughter. So they're all playing youth sports. So I have been around youth sports literally for 40 of the 45 years I've been on this planet. And I've seen it as a player. I've seen it as a coach. And now I'm seeing it as a parent. And while I do firmly believe that the vast majority of parents have very noble intentions, they love their children very much, and they're doing the best they can. I have seen a lot of parents that are severely misguided, and they're doing a lot of things that unfortunately are undermining their child's performance and they're undermining their child's happiness and they're undermining their relationship with their child. And I, I don't want to see that. I, I just want to, you know, be able to offer some practical tips and guidelines that hopefully can make, you know, folks have a more enjoyable experience because they're the statistics of how often and how early kids are quitting sports now it's really alarming. And, you know, as a parent, I don't want to see that. I, I want my kids to play sports for as long as they're able to. And if that means till the end of high school and they're not good enough to play in college, that's okay. That was a great run. If they can play in college, wow, that's cool too. But but let them get the most out of the experience. So I do hope that book uh, for very altruistic reasons does a little bit of good. Yeah. Love it. I got a kid now, so I need to read it. <laughs> I know you do. And I tell you what, man, that's one of the things I most admire about you, Try, is, is how present of a father you are, how proud you are to be, you know, girl, dad. Uh, I think that's, that's phenomenal. I mean, I'll even say with full transparency, you have a better grasp of it now with, with your daughter at her age than I did when my kids were that age. I, I was a little slow to the party and I didn't start figuring some of these things out, you know, so my kids were five, six, seven, eight years old. So I, I really admire and commend you, man. Keep, keep doing that. You're, you're, you're making all the rest of, you know, you're raising the bar for the rest of the fathers out there. I love it. Appreciate it. Hey, and thanks for sending over uh, the book, the signed book. I got my copy and uh, I've been enjoying it so far. I'm like, all everything you're into, I'm just like, this is all like candy for me. So I, I'm loving it. My pleasure. And Travis, if you if you email me your mailing address, be happy to send you one as well, my friend. Oh, for sure. I'm a huge reader. So I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> Heck yeah. Thanks for your time, Alan. Appreciate it. Absolutely. I appreciate both. Thanks. Right. Shoots, guys. Oops.